Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, we've got some news from Atlassian around Jira Portfolio and the end of Stride and Hip Chat. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burl. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Hello. Doing good. Good to see you. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's jump right in to the news. We've got Portfolio for Jira 2.22. It looks like some changes are afoot. Matthew, what's up? Yeah, and and being a dot twenty two release, you would think this would be a, a you know it's a minor thing. It's not that exciting. Uh, the the main points in terms of new features are not terribly exciting. Uh, multiple scenarios in the new experience. You know, we've had scenarios for a bit, but you're just getting a bit of a UI update or, or adding it in a new view. Um, so a little bit of filtering is nice. Being able to to collapse issues that that don't have a, a parent, all very good. But right at the end of it is what really caught my eye and why I wanted to talk about it today, uh, which is uh, changes to system requirements. So Portfolio for Jira Server is going to be brought into alignment with Atlassian's uh, end-of-life policies for Atlassian support. And notably, uh, at least before too long, uh, or, or I guess maybe as of 7.22, it's a little unclear. Uh, it says Portfolio for Jira will soon be adjusting the minimum supported version. Um, when Jira Core Server 8 comes out, whenever that is, Portfolio will no longer support uh, product version 7.2 and earlier. So for those of you who are looking towards 8.0, um, sort of best practice is typically wait to, to the next point release, like 8.1 to upgrade for your, you know, your stable systems. But uh, at that point, you'll need to have Portfolio upgraded. Uh, and uh, if you want to keep using the latest version of Portfolio, you've got to be on 7.2 and later. Now, you might be asking yourself, what's the end of life for 7.2? It's a great question. And that's an excellent question that we cannot answer. Uh, when you look at Atlassian's uh, Atlassian support end of life policy, um, it says they support Jira 7.2.x for two years after 7.2.0 is released. Um, I don't have that date for hand of when it was released. And in the tables below that show the end of life dates, it skips over 7.2. Uh, it goes from 7.1 to uh, 7.4. Um, for both Jira Core and Jira Software. So uh, apologies, I didn't look up when uh, 7.2.0 came out for us to then calculate that date. But be aware, you should probably upgrade to some newer versions. And speaking of the end of life, it is regretful to say that Stride and HipChat, we barely knew you. You are, you are, you're on the way out. And if you're listening to this podcast um, within a reasonable amount of days from when it was published... Maybe it's already happened. So um, notes to to future everyone. <clears throat> if you're listening to this after mid-February, stuff's already gone. Um, the Stride and HipChat cloud services are all going to be shut down on February 15th of 2019. Um, so if you're a vendor and you have um, a Stride or HipChat cloud app on the marketplace, um, you have until the 14th to set your listing to archived. Um, we, <clears throat> we're going to echo Atlassian's recommendation here, which is if you want to keep that data, 
start exporting now. Um, the last day to export data from Stride and HipChat Cloud is going to be March 15th of 2019. Um, server and data center versions for HipChat are, um, there are end of life dates in this article, which we'll link to in the SoundCloud posting. Um, HipChat data center, if you're on version 3.0, is going to EOL on June 22nd. Um, version 3.1 in September. Um, HipChat server at various versions have different end of life dates. Um, interestingly, 2.1 is 8th of December, 2.2 is May 30th, and 2.4 is the June 30th. So there's check your version um, against those dates. According to the the article, one of them even goes to 2020, and that's that's super right. Yeah, 2.4 does go until 2020. Um, so 2.1 expires after 2.2. It's very unusual. It's, it's it's interesting. Very, it's very confusing. Anyway, I think a lot of us are already approaching it as, you know, hip, hip chat is dead, long live hip chat. But um, pretty much everybody I know that is using hip chat in their organizations <clears throat> has, even as recently as this past week, migrated over to Slack. Um, so if you haven't done that, go ahead and do it, um, export your data, get it out of there because everything is end of lifing. Um, APIs, developer support, et cetera, will remain available for those various versions, but uh, at the dates listed in this article, everything's going to get shut down. Um, so I, I personally, you know, hip chat was the part of my life for something like six solid years, maybe longer than that. And it's, you know, on, on, on one hand, it's sad to see something go. On the other hand, I, I do like Slack quite a bit. So it's, it's a very nice tool. If you're frightened of moving over and are waiting until the last possible minute, go ahead, bite the bullet, join, you know, let the peer pressure motivate you <laughs> to join the Slack club and be aware that if you are still using HipChat, that you have end-of-life dates rapidly approaching. It's also worth noting that there, so for those of you who are in enterprises where you have to keep an on-prem solution, there has been some consternation about this. I would recommend that you look into a product called Mattermost. Mattermost is an on-prem hosted solution that has a similar feature set to Slack, but um, again, can be hosted and behind your firewall. Uh, and I learned about it at the Boston Aug uh, this in January. You know, you learn some things when you go to the lasting user groups, and that's what I found out about. So they have the same sort of integrations and such. If you have to keep on prem, if you don't, man, I'm having fun with Slack. All those gifts. We're totally productive. We're not sitting here sending each other gifts. All right. We've got an article from the Atlassian community site written by our very own Stephen Cheesley, El Queso Grande. And joining us now is the big cheese himself, Stephen Cheesley. Stephen, hi. Hey, Ryan. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So this is a tremendously useful article for the beginner or someone who wants to refine how they see their logs. Tell us a little bit about, first, what gave you the idea to write this? So I wanted to write an article. I knew I wanted to write an article for community, but I wasn't sure about what. And I took a look at the uh, community champions Trello board because by that point I was already a, a champion. And, and there was um, and there, there were lots and lots of ideas. And I saw the log one and logging is like a, a, a pet thing of mine. And I was like, yes, that's the one I'm going to do. 
All right. So it's it's really well stated, you know, finding the logs, identifying. Um, how can you make reading logs easier? Well, I mean, it comes down to two things. The logs as they are, if you accept that they're fixed, which they're not. But I mean, if you, if you think about how can I help someone today, the first part of the article is looking at the logs as they are and how you can interpret them and how you can get more use out of them. So how you can kind of mentally sort the chaff from, from the useful, useful elements in the log. Um, but then the second part really focuses on you don't have to accept one giant log file with everything in it. And actually what you can do is you can start to tweak your configuration a little bit and actually start to have log files with just the stuff that's useful to you in it. So you don't have to do that mental siphoning. So it kind of approaches solving the problem from those two angles, really. And you have an a section of the article that's about, can it be simpler? This is something that I've, I've actually experienced before when looking through the logs, it's just like, God, there's so much junk. So how do, how does one make it simpler? Oh, it, well, it's, it's not, I, I hate to say it's fairly straightforward, but I mean, it, it can be easy, right? So making it simpler is all about understanding what you want from the logs and then tuning them to get what you want. So for example, you can go and change, let's say you're only interested in things from script runner. You can go to your log configuration and you can have it put the logs just from script runner in a separate file. So that file only contains logs from script runner, but wait, there's more <laughs> because what the next thing you can do is that you can actually tune it down and say, I don't, I only want error messages. I only care about error messages. Info messages are fine, but they're not really relevant to me. I only care about errors. So you can actually tune it down to the level as well. So you can actually say, I only want script runner errors to go to this log. That's helpful on two fronts. One, you can start to monitor that log using tools like Splunk to actually find out, if, to get an alert if something goes wrong with script runner. But also, if you're seeking support, if there is ever an error, you can just give support that file, and it's much easier for them as well. So it makes everybody's life a lot easier. Not like you'd ever have any problems with Adaptivist script runner, Stephen G's. You would only have problems with your with the custom scripts. Of course. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, Stephen. So we're going to include a link to your article in our SoundCloud description. I would highly recommend everyone jump out there and, and give it a read. Stephen Cheesley, Atlassian Community Champion and massive hunk of cheese, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Ryan. So beyond finding a way to make our logging work better, Atlassian has a, a great blog post out this month uh, by, and I apologize if I butcher this name, Ashley Faust, about balancing our work life and uh, making that work a little bit better. This is help I need. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. I've never seen a, what I would call almost a scientific process to work-life balance. Uh, she writes with this, the creating a work-life balance matrix, which really appeals to the, the spreadsheet geek in me of, of like tabulating out the weight of different categories. You know, family is 30%, hobbies are 10%, career is 25%. The amount of satisfaction this gives you, getting a, a percent and actually like mathematically determining how like satisfied or, or happy or content you are with your with your life right now. And then once you have that as a baseline, you know, how can we increase that? Where do we need to make changes to increase our, our life satisfaction? Um, and she's got a lot of really good strategies here. 
um, a lot of which reminded me of a, a of another article um, by by Scott Hanselman. Uh, not just an article, a series of talks he's done. So we'll probably include this in as well. But like you know, Ashley's advice of, of stop multitasking and say no to low impact work. That type of thing has been so helpful for me in my career. Of of just you know, as Scott puts it, dropping the ball. I'm just not going to do these things anymore. Um, and it seems like nine times out of ten, they end up being really low value things that nobody actually cared about. Yeah the the article that you said that we're going to link to about uh, Kesselman, his the drop the Hanselman. ball Hanselman, sorry um, Hanselman Hanselman, <laughs> so hot right now. The part of that about dropping the ball and stop doing saying no to the low impact stuff. How do you say no when your boss wants you to do low impact work? That's a great question. Um, Brenda, I assume, you know, as a, as a project manager and a manager yourself of people, you've probably run into that. So how do you, you know, when you're trying to evaluate the weight of the work itself? Um, I, I have indeed run into that. And, and this is my, my answer to Ryan's question is if, if the boss insists on something that's low impact, you know, maybe there's a reason they're insisting on it, but you should feel comfortable to have a conversation though. You know, I understand that this is something you're giving to me, but I, you know, just from the way I understand this, this is going to be low impact, a lot of work for me. It's going to take me away from other things. Are you sure this is really what you want me to be spending my time on? And a good boss is going to say yes. And here's why. Um, at, at Adaptivist as part of the consulting team, we sort of have a priority scheme. If it is client work, it is first and foremost. That's the important thing. That's our bread and butter. We want to focus on client work. Um, below that are going to be things that are going to help us, you know, improve things internally, process improvements, um, you know, customizations to our own Atlassian tools, that sort of thing. Um, and then below that are going to be some of the more administrative things. Um, so, Typically, you know, if, if I have a task to assign to one of my resources, I'll say, um, you know, the priority is going to be, I need you to work on this client project. And if you get stuck on that and we are waiting on the client, then I'm going to have you working on this internal thing. Um, and if that's, you know, stuck for any reason, then I'm going to have you working on professional development. And if for any reason you, you aren't able to work on that, here are some, some relatively minor things that you can focus on at that point, but that's always, there's always this sort of cascading priority. Invariably, what will, will happen, and I've, this has happened a couple of times, is that here's this internal project that is going to take precedence over everything. Well, why is it taking precedence over something that is for a client project? You know, you're asking us to shift our priority from the clients, which is what we do, to something that's internal. And, you know, usually that conversation then becomes the, the, what's the value of doing this? If we, if we push, push ahead with this, we will get X, Y, and Z. Here's our return on investment, and we can, you know, delegate out the client work or, or whatever. So just have a conversation with the boss. You know, what, what are you seeing as the impact versus what I'm seeing as the impact? And I'm, I'm the kind of person, if you explain something to me clearly, I'm not going to argue with you. But if I don't see a purpose for it, I'm going to push back and say, why, why are you asking me to do this thing that's going to take me away from things that are typically higher priority? And I think that phrase, return on investment, is, is really valuable for all aspects of our lives. And I think about that and I think about opportunity cost. Anytime I spend doing one thing means I can't do something else. And I kind of evaluate everything in my life this way. So work-life balance isn't just about what we do at work. It's also about 
where we invest in our own education. It's the time we spend with our family. It's the time we spend on hobbies. So like for me, I'm a, I'm a big, I, I play a lot of video games. I'm a big computer gamer. Uh, I've got a Nintendo Switch. I enjoy it a lot. Uh, but I also have a, an infant son. I've got my wife. I've got my church community. Uh, I'm investigating becoming more involved in our city uh, and, and, you know, different councils and things like that. I've been talking with a few different people, uh, who, who serve in different positions. And so it's figuring out, you know, what's, you know, how does this balance out amongst each other? Um, and, and what's the return on investment? Uh, it's important to still do things, you know, that, that kind of bring you joy that, that, that help balance that out. Like you can't just cut hobbies and be like, ah, oh, this isn't putting anything into the world. So I need to go spend all my time, you know, saving the planet uh, because then you burn out. And that's, that's been a big topic uh, in the blogosphere lately, um, you know, examining burnout and when the, what contributes to that and how people are feeling that way. Uh, and then how burnout affects both absenteeism and presenteeism and investment in, in career development. So like it's a, it's a complex subject. I think Ashley's approach here of just really simplifying it, put it in a matrix and give it some time to think about it. Um, there was another article I was reading earlier that, that said one of the things we, we fail to do is we're not giving ourselves enough time to think about work, to do the planning of it. And it's the same thing for work-life balance, like that time to really reflect. We need to be doing more of that. My husband and I actually had a conversation about that this morning. Um, he was getting ready to leave for work and he's like, you know, I feel like I think best when I'm driving. And he has about a, a half hour commute each way. And he finds that's when he does a lot of his best thinking. And he's like, I really, you know, I don't want to work in the evenings, but I've kind of thought about maybe I just need to go drive around a bit. And now I'm, I'm totally, I'm fine with that. If that's, if that's your thinking mode, great, because then you're taking the time that you need to plan and think and generate good ideas. For me, unfortunately, all of my best ideas happen at about two in the morning during a bout of insomnia. So it's very often a matter of, I will be awake. I will, I'll write down some things. I try to do that on paper, not in my phone because the screen will keep me awake, but it's like, if I write this down, it's written down and then it's exited my head. Now I can go back to sleep. Um, but, but I have definitely been experiencing the, why do I not think about this during the day? Why is my brain coughing this up at 2am, but here it is. So, um, that actually was something and, and mentioned in this article is, um, you know, uh, delegating that sort of thing, um, is I was, I was awake. This was Sunday night, maybe. And I'm, I've got two client projects this week and I don't know how to make my calendar work and I, I can't fit everything in and I'm dealing with, you know, things outside of work. And I just, I, I want to hide from this week. And ultimately it was, I have to re-resource one of these client projects. I have a resource who is who has capacity, it makes sense for me to be the one doing this project because of my location, but I have, I can't, I cannot do it. And it was just simply me going, I'm, I'm sitting awake, it's 2am and I go, this is how I solve this problem. And I don't know why I wouldn't have thought of that in the middle of the day, um, but I've been able to reshuffle my schedule and, and this week is no longer a week from, you know. Too many, heck. too many active trains going in the middle of the day trains is what it takes yeah the article talks about um you know stop multitasking close some of those browser tabs 
I had to hand it off. I, I just, there's no way that I could fit everything in this week. And that my stress levels went way down when I did that. I, I'm a little embarrassed, you know, I committed to this and now I can't do it. I, I said yes. And now I'm saying no. And, you know, let me cancel all this stuff. And it's, it's going to be okay. The people that are doing this work are fantastic. They might do it better than me even. And that lets me focus on this other project and, you know, it's, it's going slowly. I need to get moving on it. Now I have the time to do that. It's better for that client. It's better for the client that I re-resource the project on. We all win in the long run. Um, so, so definitely once I started looking at it that way, it was less a matter of I'm a failure because I, I can't do all the work. It's I'm actually helping provide better service by resourcing this project properly. And being better able to focus on this other project. And, and so those are definitely some things where we kind of get into, you know, the feelings of I'm a failure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm overloaded. I just have to work all the time. No, I, I don't. I do need that time for the hobbies and everything. And just, you know, prioritizing that over everything else was like, yes, I can survive this week now. Well, you know, at the end of the article, it says you've got to make time for self-care. All right. Quick, quick round survey. And we'll call it a we'll call it a podcast. Another checkpoint in this article says create checklists. Your preferred tool for checklists, Matthew Stubblefield. Uh, for me, it's Trello. Brenda Burl. I use Remember the Milk. I am also a Trello user, and so no. I, mean, I could ramble about this at length, but you don't want me to, so I'll stop. <laughs> I was about to start talking more about Remember the Milk, which I use heavily at the university mm-hmm. because I had so many recurring tasks and things like that to keep track of, but. My life got simpler to adapt this and Trello is sufficient now. Can we, can Trello, can't Trello handle recurring tasks? I it can now. It like it couldn't as, of, as of like a month or two ago. Yes. Yeah. I, I tried, it. I tried switching to Trello and it just did not work for me. And so I've kept to remember the milk. I mean, I've been using it probably since, I mean, it was before I worked at MSU. So it's been like 12 years. Wow. Um, yeah. And it just, it works for me. Um, I, I tried switching to Trello. It didn't do the recurring tasks. I do struggle sometimes with checklist overload where the lists are just too big. And so I've had to train myself, you know, I'm, I am very much a perfectionist. I want to, I want to complete everything. You can't complete your list when there's 33 tasks for the day. And there's, so I just have had to train myself. It's okay to postpone. It's okay to delete, admit, admit that you're never going to get to this one stupid thing that you've had on there forever. Just take it off the list. It's not important. All right. We've got two editions that are hot off the press. And first, almost an hour after we recorded this edition of Adaptivist Live, Atlassian announced Jira Software 8.0 and Service Desk 4.0. So we're going to link to this announcement in SoundCloud, and we'll go further in depth on this in our next episode. And also, for our UK listeners, we have some seats available for a very special event on February 7th in London. It's called Only the Agile Can Thrive, Exploring Digital Transformation in Retail, where you'll be treated to three talks from John Lewis and Partners and other UK retail giants on how they're embracing agility and transforming how they work. It's absolutely free, and you can register at adaptivist.com slash retail 2019. All right. Well, this has been a fun chat. Thank you, Matthew. And thank you, Brenda. And thanks to you, the listeners. If you're enjoying the Adaptivist Live podcast, please feel free to like it, share it, and be sure that you check out all the articles that we've linked to here in the SoundCloud description. And also visit adaptivist.com. 
So for Brenda Burrow and Matthew Stubblefield, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Calculating. <laughs> Thank you.